What's going on, man? What's the word? Nothing. Just got done. Uh, did I top four classes today? All before two thirty. Uh, it's been a day. Now I'm gonna chill. That's awesome, man. How's the body feel? Oh, it's it's uh, tired still. Um, like my legs are okay, but like um, from Ironman, I think my body just like it gives out. <laughs> I taught two the last couple of days. I teach two classes in the morning, and then like I get home, eat some lunch, which at lunch is like at ten thirty, and then uh, I just passed out for like four hours, and then I teach again at the in the evening. So. Uh, I think my body's still recovering, but it feels uh, it feels good though. Everything's That's awesome. Man. Everything feels fine. Dude, I wish so bad I could have been there with you. Oh, oh, we, that would have been fantastic. But you know, life happens. You went to Texas. That was yeah. that was incredible. So yes, it was. Um, so that just was... to kind of um, introduce you here to everybody, this is uh, Mark Daigle. If you've uh, been watching us on social media, you know um, a little bit about Mark Daigle. But Mark Daigle is a two-time Ironman finisher. He is a six-time marathon finisher. He also is a NASM-certified personal trainer and an instructor at the famous Flywheel in New York City. And um, I think I could go on for days and days about the things that you've done, but uh, just just to give people a little <laughs> quick intro. So I met Mark beating him on the pickleball court at uh, St. Peter's Recplex. I, I believe the record was <laughs> 99 to Ben and zero to Mark, if I do remember right. No. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to tell everybody you got Alzheimer's <laughs> being in uh, your profession, but I might have to blow up your spot yeah. real quick, man. Yeah, the pickle, pickleball days are where it's at. I was actually just saw some uh, people playing pickleball the other day, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I got to get – I want oh, to start playing so again. Bad, man. I miss it. So, yeah. truthfully, Mark was my boss when I was working at the St. Peter's Rec Plex for the city. Um, I was kind of a jack of all trades. I worked at the front desk. I um, cleaned the gym. So I was a gym attendant as well as um, a personal trainer. And um, I believe that's really where our relationship kind of took off. And we noticed that we had. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you know what, you know what happened was that you were working front desk. You were working. I had just moved back from California and took that uh, yes. manager job, and um, and you were working front desk. You were doing gym attendant and doing all these things. And I turned to you and I was like, "Hey, bro, like, you can make a lot more money by just personal training, and then you could use all your time to do other stuff for studying." And and that's when you're like, "Oh, right." So you just went and got a. Uh, I don't know what cert it was, but you were so knowledgeable. You just like went online that night and took a test and, <laughs> and passed and became a personal trainer. And I was like, all right, let's start training. Yeah, I forget what the... Uh, and that's when, you, that's, that's when you started training. It was, I was like, you know, you were working way too hard. I that, that you right got now. me into that. Yeah. And then that allowed you to like yeah. do other stuff, you know. And then I, then I used you as like, even though you weren't the, uh, the head personal trainer, I, you were like my go-to. I was like, Hey, these, you know, 
our active older adults need to do this. And you're like, all right, I'm yep. on it. You know, you were, I like kind of, I kind of had the ideas and you executed everything once you got into that role, which is like, we were a really good team, yeah, which was, was really nice. It was great, man. And our friendship just kind of continued to blossom. I think cause we really enjoyed the same things of um, fitness and health and sports and competition. And I think it was the competition that really um, drove us apart when we were playing I mean, each other, but bonded us after. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, what didn't we compete in? Yeah. <laughs> We set up pickleball, go cut, cut out lunch and go play nine holes and then come back to work. Yeah. We do every, anything you can think of, that's what we were competing in. It didn't matter if it was like rolling up some, uh, you know, paper and throwing it into the trash. We're seeing, we're seeing who can it's do it so better. True. Uh, so true. And I love that. Yeah, we def- definitely bonded and became, became really good friends over just like getting out and competing. And when you're competing, you have – you know, you just talk to somebody and you're like, oh, this is actually a pretty good dude. I guess I should keep him around or, you know, let's let's do some more stuff yeah. together. Yeah. And we've been, man, what are we probably going on now? So I've been out, started on six years. So probably close to 10 years we've been um, good buddies. And yeah, well, I think even before that, we were, we worked the front desk yes. together. I think, you know, before back in like probably – 2006 2007 when you were just you know I think just graduating high school I was just a few years into college when I come back and I would pick up shifts at the front desk working at that same gym that I came back to to manage later on a few years later but that's when we first like actually knew each other um yep which are those 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 front desk shifts which is pretty neat that is pretty cool the um and then um, we kind of get into. I got a couple of questions for you, and that's yeah, I'm sure ahead. we'll Shoot. learn more about Fire you away, yeah, as we're going through here. Um, I know that um, shortly thereafter, when I was kind of going through school and kind of getting through the first portion of school, that you were just starting to get into the Ironman training. I think you had already done a couple of triathlons. Um, but can you just give us a little bit of info, um, just kind of in your training regiments early on, and then what yeah. what's kind of uh, transpired through there? Definitely. So actually, when I got out of college, I graduated from Mizzou um, with a business manager management degree in uh, 2009. When I got out from there, I went traveling um, the world, if you will. I hit up countries in Southeast Asia. Then I went to Australia, New Zealand. I went with my brother. Then we actually split off and I traveled solo throughout those countries for a while. And when I got back, I was like really wanting to just have something to like have a goal towards and to be pretty vain. I was just like, what sport can I do that's going to make me look the best? And I was like, well, triathlon, you have to swim, you have to bike, you have to run. And if I lift a little weights, man, I'm going to be looking really good. Mm -hmm. So uh, I signed up for the St. Peter's Rectflex Triathlon. It's uh, in between a sprint and an Olympic. So the swim's a little bit longer than a sprint try. Uh, The bike's a little bit shorter than the Olympic. And then it's, um, I think, I don't know if it was a 5K or an 8K run. but so I signed up for that. Our boss, uh, Rick Elodio, let me use his really old school road bike where the 
the gears were actually on the down tube. So you'd have to reach down and you push it forward or backwards, which is, I haven't seen one of those, I don't think since I did that race, but so that was 2011 was my first triathlon. That's awesome. um, and after doing that, I kind of fell in love with the sport and, uh, you know, I just love having the goal setting, right? So once you do one, you're like, okay, now I can do the same distance one. I want to get faster. Or now I want to up my game and get to the next level. And I think my progression just is like, all right, I did that one. So then we did like an Olympic triathlon. And then I jumped up straight into like half marathons. My family started competing in a bunch of um, 5Ks, 8Ks, and then half marathons and marathons. So I was trying to join in with them. And then I jumped right into a half, half Ironman, 70.3 in Austin, Texas. Um, and that kind of just like, you know, waterfalled into, into everything of the next half Ironman. And then my, um, all my Ironman attempts, which, you know, I like to tell, I, I like to say two time Ironman, but, um, I wish it was a uh, cool enough, or I don't know what the, and maybe we should just start putting it on there, but like, you know, I've tried three, I failed at my first attempt. Yeah. So, and that's something that I always tell people and I try not to leave out is like, you know, even when I got to that first Ironman, I had a lot of things going towards me. And, you know, we can get into that a little bit later, I'm sure, because you were um, an integral part of me on my second Ironman coming after that failed attempt to get my body in shape and using your business and services to really uh, to keep my body in tip top shape and bounce back. So, yeah. But yeah, that's kind of the, the waterfall of that was uh, 2011. I started doing them. And ever since I tried to get a bunch of races in and in and in. That brings us uh, to this last one. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to fill in between, but that's kind of the progression of how I got into it. Kind of the vainness of wanting to look better. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome, man. I love it. Man, there's such a... Whatever, you know? Th- no matter what you do, there's a, um, a psychological approach to every um, health and fitness um, endeavor. And as, as much as we like to keep that out of it, but that is a part of it. And it is something that tells you that, you know, how your body is adapting and how things are going. It's, it's a good indication for a lot of people and it's a motivator as well. And so, although, you know, we try to not speak too much about that usually in our society, but to stay humble, but that is definitely a part of it. And I love that you're, you're very honest about that. And, uh, Definitely. I love that you're think, uh, you're you're also very open about uh, the first one, and I I definitely wanted to cover that because I, how many times have you and I talked about the failures are are what push you forward and really allow you to adapt and become better, no matter what that's in. But I know we've had that that conversation, and even um, adapting your mindset, you know, after that one and. Sometimes you just got to get out there and try it and see what happens and get kicked down and figure out how you're going to get back up, you know? Definitely. And I think, you know, uh, on these races, and it's not just for me, it's like races, but, um, and, and I use whatever lessons I learn in, in the physical sport to apply them to like what's going on in my personal life or what's going on in my professional life. Um, but like, you know, all the, the lessons that you take from that apply to everything and so when I when I do sign up for races I, I look at stuff that like scares me you know yeah like I like I like that there's a chance that I'm that I might fail and then I have to be confident enough to know that if I fail you're not really a failure right you just didn't 
finish or didn't succeed that time. And now it gives you an opportunity to, to, to write the course and, and be better next time. Um, That's exactly right. But you got to like step out, like you got to picking something that scares you and that applies to everything, right? Whatever you're doing in life, like picking something that scares you is like really important. Yeah. Um, but it's getting that mental mentality saying, all right, I might do this and I might not complete it, or I might not get the result that I want, but that's not failure. I'm going to learn from it. And that's going to make me way better whether I finish or not. Yep. Right. So. Yep. Yep. I love it, man. So many different ways we could go with this conversation. And I've got a couple of questions written down that I really want to get out of you. Um, and so just for those of you listening, we unfortunately are not in a beautiful studio together right now. Mark is in New York and I am in our um, main layer here at Tross. And so if you do hear a little bit of the ins and outs, that's what you're hearing is not only the distance connection, but um, also trying to do this remotely. Uh, it would have been nice to be able to fly in so we could have done this uh, around a studio or something. But yeah. <laughs> I do apologize. One, one day. That. That's right. One day. One day we're going to be there. That's you know right. what I mean? That's right. Um, yeah. So I do apologize for some of the kind of ins and outs you guys are hearing, but thanks for for staying with us here. Um, so can you um, kind of get into the, the medical regiments? Let's kind of get to when we really started working together and kind of um, what started changing for you at that point going into that second Ironman? Yeah, well, just to kind of go back first, I, I want to actually touch base on let's touch base on the first one, which leads into oh, the second sounds one. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, the first attempt was Ironman Lake Tahoe in California, and it out the gate was dubbed it's going to be like the hardest the hardest race in at least North America. It was the first time they were doing it in Lake Tahoe. The lake sits at sixty two hundred elevation. And there's something crazy over like six thousand feet of elevation gain throughout the. Um, throughout the, uh, the bike ride. And just to That's back intense. up one time thing up is that an Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and then a 26.2 mile run. So what it is, it's a triathlon. All triathlons are swim, bike, run, but the Ironman is the longest distance with those distance being 2.4, 112, and then 26.2. But um, uh, just to talk about how that race was so stressful and sometimes our bodies react so different to stress. Well, at the time I just had gotten out of a relationship, um, with my girlfriend of, I don't know how many, however long it was, but so that was really weighing on me stress going train while training for this Ironman. And then after that, um, my body was just, you know, just taxed out. So I was emotionally stressed and I was physically stressed and I actually got shingles and, um, the shingles actually set me out probably without doing any physical activity two to three weeks. I lost 20 pounds um, just because I couldn't sleep. I was on pain medicine. I was on trying on sleep medicine. Um, and that's when I got the shingles. And Ben, actually, if you remember, I was misdiagnosed with shingles. I was misdiagnosed twice. I went to the emergency room twice because of yep. it. Um, the pain was so bad. And the emergency room doctor said it was like poison ivy or poison oak. And then I remember just even describing it to you before you even like looked at it. Um, 
you definitely are like, I, it's going to sound crazy, but I think it's shingles because prior to the shingles, I was getting the symptoms of shingles and I was getting nerve pain up my back. It felt someone's taking a knife and just shoving it up my back. Mm -hmm. That's how bad it was hurting. Like I remember almost falling, walking down the hallway yep. at the Recplex and you checked me out. Cause I was like, I can't believe I just like, um, you know, threw out my back or I had a herniated disc or whatever. And you were like, I checked you out and you're all fine. And then you just listened to, you just thought, really listened to me, which is like one thing I love about you is you just listen so well to everybody. And you're like, you're going to think I'm crazy, but I think it shingles. And then when I went back to the doctor, they finally, uh, <laughs> yep. they finally said, uh, yeah, he was right. It's shingles. So, yep. um, Everybody told me, two out of three doctors told me not to try that race, the Lake uh, Tahoe, which, you know, I probably should have listened to them. But at the same time, like, they didn't have a, you know, I just, I didn't want to leave anything out. I, there's always a chance that you could do it. But it just so happened that that race had the, it snowed the night before. Um, and it was supposed to be, it was dubbed as the summer the, there in September, but it snowed the night before. Race morning, the temperature of the water was in the mid 50s. And the outside temperature was 32. Ooh. There was a, like a thin layer of ice on on the water when people first got in, and just like this like mist above. Um, I ended up getting my goggles knocked off my head. It took me like two hours to swim, and then I got 85 miles on into the bike, and I uh, I got pulled off the course. Um, and I think the hardest part about that was I had so many people on my, all the races. I always have like a good crew that comes and just supports. And like, I'm very fortunate about that in my life. I have so many people to just like continually support me and everything I do. And the hardest part was like, I was fine until I saw them. And then I just broke down. We probably had about 10 of us out there in Lake, in Lake Tahoe. Um, but then that brought us to, we got over that and that brought us to the next one. The redemption race was six months later, Ironman. Texas. And that's when me and you started getting into our regiment of telling me what I was doing, where I'm training, and then making sure I was getting adjusted several times a week and then staying up on that. And then uh, in May of the following year, I was able to crank out Ironman Texas down in Woodlands, Texas. And uh, I mean, you were a huge part. You came down. We had, we had 17 friends and family members come down to cheer me on for that one. And it was like, that's another thing that's lost in all this is like, yeah, I might be like completing these races, but I don't, I've never been to a race where I didn't have at least five or more people show up and support. And like, that says a lot about just like the people that I surround myself with and how lucky I am to have such great friends and family and support like yeah. that. You know, I was actually talking to someone about this the night you finished your race. I was talking about how much it's a testament to you and how, much you care for people throughout what you do. And this is probably people listening to this won't, won't get to see this side of you, but um, Mark has a huge heart and he cares so much about what's going on in everybody's daily life that when he goes to do these things, it's almost impossible not to go because you want to be there so much for you because you're there so much for other people. And uh, I said that to somebody the night of your race and I was like, he just, he attracts and he gives off this um, amazing love and support for everybody that it's, it's so easy to root for you and want to be there and uh, to make sure that you have all the support that you need because you give it to everybody else. So, um, man, really, really appreciate that. And, you know, it's, it's mutual, right? It's all about who you surround yourself with. So, yeah. 
I mean, everybody, everybody that shows up, they do the same thing for everybody. It's just like this circle of community and support. That's like so important. And, um, yeah, I just love that stuff. Yeah. You know? And getting back kind of to your training. So I had just graduated. So I was, um, yeah. when we, when you did the first one, I think I was just getting into clinicals at that point. Um, just kind of getting my feet wet with the actual treatment side of things and, um, hit the ground running. I really knew that I wanted to be, um, support for athletes, but just your, um, weekend warrior to keep everybody moving. That was my goal. I wanted to keep everybody healthy and moving and doing the things they love, whether that was an Ironman or being able to pick your grandkid up, right? That was my goal. And very much fell in love with the um, endurance sports and golf, obviously, as most of you know, and just gravitated for, towards a lot of these sports that I actually didn't experience um, until later in life. And I think one of the first things that I noticed was that this sport that you were doing was a very um, sagittal plane sport, meaning going forward. And that when we took you through the functional screens and when we tested you, you were very strong in that one plane of movement, but that we kind of addressed that you also needed to be better in the transverse and the frontal plane or coronal plane. And that we needed you to be able to, to rotate in the kind of this um, cross training, if we will, that we knew you were going to get your training in with the bike, with the swim, with the run, but that was all staying inside the box, if you will. And that we needed to get you mm -hmm. doing some other rehab as far as being able to um, not only train your body in one position. And that was for performance, but also for injury prevention. And that was something that yeah. we, we dubbed you the Tin Man because we noticed in some of these yeah. movements that <laughs> – um, there was, um, areas to be gained there, if you will. And, uh, I, I mean, that's still, a, still an issue thing I'm working on today, man. I'm oh, we, trying. We all it's so are, hard when you spend so much time, yep. you know, uh, but the, uh, the great thing was like the exercises that you did were so helpful. Um, um, everything that you prescribed is just like absolutely perfect. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I took out was always like the breathing exercises that yeah. you give. And I know you, you preach this to all of your, your clients or patients. And it's just like, you got to breathe, right. You got to breathe, right. Take it out yep. of the chest, take it out of the chest, put it back down in the diaphragm and really uh, sit there and push that stomach out while you're breathing. Um, yeah. And I even told, I was talking to another instructor about that today. And, um, she asked me if I ever have voice issues. And I was like, I never have voice issues. And I teach, you know, 16 to 18, 20 classes a week. And I was like, I was like, I, I was like, I think I breathe right. I'm like, I'm not trained vocally at all. But like, what I am trained in is like breathing. And I think that really, really helps. Yep. It's huge, man. It's the, the pillar for what we, we base everything off of. And with a good foundation of diaphragmatic breathing and core engagement, then we're able to build that distal mobility and we become such better runners, swimmers, bikers, whatever it may be. And it's, um, it's the basis for injury prevention and performance enhancement. It really is. Um, so 
I want to keep going here and just kind of stay online, man. I've loved your input. I appreciate you taking the time to do this and uh, tell us a little bit um, about your recent diagnosis. So I haven't mentioned much on the page, but um, tell us a, a yeah. little bit about that. Definitely. Uh, so I was actually training for um, a half marathon back in 2000 and late. I think it was like late. It was 2016. It was almost three years ago now. I think it was three years ago. Um, I was training for a half marathon and I was running and I was I set out at just like seven mile minute pace um, for, you know, like a short three to five mile run. And about a mile and a half in, my legs stopped working. When I say my legs, my calves, everything below my knees basically stopped. Like, they just stopped working, and I started just, like, limping. So, like, my quads and my hamstrings were working, but I was just, like, limping and limping. Um, and I had, a, I had to walk home, and then I couldn't really walk right for, like, the next week. Uh, at the time, I wasn't a full-time employee anywhere. I was only part-time at a bunch of different gyms in the city, so I didn't have any insurance and I didn't get diagnosed. I had to wait till, you know, I ended up becoming full-time at that flywheel and get become the lead of the whole city. But that gave me insurance. And once I was able to go to a doctor, I got diagnosed with Charcot-Marie tooth disease, uh, commonly known as CMT. It's not a commonly known disease, but people in, who have it just call it CMT. But Charcot-Marie tooth disease is a you, you'll be able to explain it even better than I can, um, but it's a, a neuromuscular disease that affects my ability to move. And basically the way I explain it to people is like, if I do a certain amount of pounding on my legs, I basically the battery in my, in my signals stop sending, sending signals and basically sever that my axon um, severs and the, the uh, signals don't go to my muscles. Yep. Right. So they stop working. It's a, uh, it's a slowly progressive, non-curable disease as of right now. Um, and it's really slow. And I slow progressive mean it is really slowly progressive. Um, but I did learn that my dad, my dad had battled with it like his whole life. And I didn't even know. And he finally went and got diagnosed actually when I didn't have insurance. He's like, I have it. You might have it. Cause it is one of the most commonly, um, inherited diseases uh, but it's still pretty mm -hmm. rare but so I got diagnosed with that and I was just shattered and for two years to be honest with you like uh for the next I guess I guess year and a half after the diagnosis I didn't do any races I didn't run anymore and I like I always said I hated running but secretly I like loved running mm -hmm. right because I loved the challenge of it I loved it because I hated it and that gave me that fear that we talked about earlier and I was like okay now I have to go do this I want to do it because after every time I did it I felt so accomplished um so that's why I had done you know six marathons and half marathons and because it gave me that feeling of accomplishment and I always feel after you complete one of these races like you just like I'm I honest to god it just it translates into your personal and professional life um, not only for you, but the people around yep. you. Um, and uh, so I didn't do anything for a while. And last, it was a year ago, last year, I kind of like, I'm still trying to figure out actually what type. I don't know what type. I have a, in two weeks, I have another doctor's appointment. Um, we're still doing blood work and testing because there's so many different types mm -hmm. of CMT. And then there's even types of CMT that aren't diagnosed that they don't have a, a name for and they kind of don't know anything about. That's how kind of rare it is. Yep. Um, so 
that was that part. I know I'm kind of all over the place when I talk about no, it. No, you're perfect, um, man. But yeah, so you know, I didn't know. I didn't know if I could could run anymore. No one could tell me, um, like, should I be doing the things? I know that's a conversation that you and I yep. had had. Um, and again, before any of the other doctors ever say anything, and this is not me just tooting your horn, Ben, but like, <laughs> you always give me the right information way before I get it from someone else that I actually have like appointments to go see, yeah. you know, I appreciate um, that. and your exact, your, your exact words were like, I think you should take your muscles up into the point of when it kicks in, mm -hmm. right? You need to use it because, um, the problem with it is that if you don't use my muscles enough, then I'll get atrophy, I'll start losing muscle mass, and then I'm in a whole different problem later on down my life, you know, whether it's next year or when I'm 60. Um, if I'm not using it up until that certain point, that's when that's when even worse things start to happen. Yep. Um, and when we say it's slowly progressive, like, you know, it could be at this point for the rest of my life to where, like, I just can't run or do, you know, burpees and high knees and fast seat and you know, after a long day of walking, like it, my legs give out and I kind of limp all over the place and, um, that type yeah. of thing, but, uh, or it could, you know, it could progress and I don't like ever looking at that, but I like to like put it out there to know that I, I know it could get to the point where like my legs stop working completely and it could move to my hands and my hands could stop working. Um, we just don't know where it can go. I just, I'll say it in the podcast just so I'm putting it out there so people kind of realize what's going yeah. on. Um, because there's a mental side that, you know, that obviously factors into how you deal with whatever's happening, physical ailments, mental stuff. But um, yeah, so that's a little bit about the disease. I don't know. Do you want me to go into the first, uh, the first race that I did since then? Yeah. No, or, that's fine, man. Um, I was just going to say, I think some of the, big things we we talked about were you kind of touched on them there I think um for those listening which I think this it applies to so many things but we talked about staying mobile you know making sure that in yeah. the areas that we've discussed that you're um increasing your flexibility we also talked about balance and challenging your balance um on a, yeah, on a daily basis and your coordination so the more that you can give just neural feedback and trying to keep your body thinking about those areas. That was a, one big thing that we talked about, uh, keeping your inflammation down just in your body. I know we talked about just some quick dietary things and um, mm -hmm. then we got a little more in depth and then we talked about increasing your stability, not only, only in the core, but in the the peripheral too so cmt attacks the peripheral the most and you kind of heard him talking about it the lower legs and the hands um and so knowing where it has a tendency to go we also know hey this is what we can do to um try and be our best in uh, preventing it and getting ahead of anything that um is going to to throw uh, a pebble in your in your path right and so mm -hmm. um, it was one of those things, too, where we were we were doing this states and states apart and I didn't have the chance of. So we were, you know, trying to do videos of your movements and things that were going on and you sent them to me. And it was um, it was a, just a pleasure for me to be able to to 
be a part of that and to watch how how well that you you handled it you attacked it and you were always this um uh, epitome of health and seeing how you just continued that through um i hope you don't mind me saying a little bit of adversity right and in, in the, yeah, in the yeah, diagnosis and and keeping your mindset strong and it wasn't a okay this is what it is it was okay what do we do at this point you know and yeah. it was um it was a pleasure to be a part of that and i appreciate you um allowing me to um be able to be a part of that of your healthcare and of that journey so i wanted to make sure i i got that in there so yeah no of course and you know that's like you're you're another testament to my community you know and i'm in your community and and how just knowing you and you being so willing to, you know, take time out of your crazy busy day to like look at video, you know, look, <laughs> look at videos of me falling over, moving incorrectly and be like, okay, we got to do this now. Like that just shows like how invested you are in everybody that you come in contact with. And that's just, it's just freaking amazing. I love it. Oh, I appreciate that, man. So let's get into this third Iron Man. Let's go. Yeah, let's go, baby. Okay, so tell me me about it, man. So, I mean, leading up, uh, you know, I went a long time without doing any races, no run races, no triathlons, and I definitely felt like something was missing. I was like, I need to challenge myself again. Um, And I went back to that thing about, like, why, why, why shouldn't I try this, you know? Yeah. Like, who cares what the what's the worst that can happen you know is the worst that can happen is that i don't finish um i think something that i'm good at is knowing my body so i knew like i knew that if i was like uh taking it to a point where i thought i might hurt myself i would definitely bow out but like knowing like yeah. okay the worst is gonna happen and the hardest thing to do is like an ego check, to be honest with you, an ego check to know that, like, I feel like I should, be, I should be a lot faster beating people in races, right? I should be, I should be running faster. I definitely should be biking faster. I should be swimming faster. But those things just aren't in my cards anymore. Yeah. Um, and me being like, you know what? Screw it. F it. Let's just do it. I'm going to sign up and see what happens. Um, so we signed up. I signed up. I remember calling my mom <laughs> and she goes, oh, no, Mark, why? <laughs> and I go, mom, I need to hear one thing. I need to hear. No, I said, yeah, I think I said, I need to hear one thing from you. I need to hear, I need to hear you say you're going to be there. And she was like, okay, I'll be there. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure she cried a little bit and then uh, said a few prayers and, <laughs> yeah. you know, bam, back to being number one supporter. So. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Mark's mom um, is a f- physical therapist, very, very knowledgeable. And so she is not only a mama bear, but also has um, a wealth of knowledge. And so she also knew that she didn't want him putting his body through um, too much stress and things like that. And so I can totally appreciate and I love you called me and you're like, I forget how you worded it, but you were like, mom, I'm going to give you one minute. Go ahead. Say what you need to say. Then after that, I just need you to, <laughs> to have my yeah. back and say you'll be there, you know? Yeah. Get so, it out. <laughs> and she's, uh, she's an amazing lady. If anybody ever gets the chance to meet Mary, do it. Um, yeah. You'll be better off yeah. for it. So, 
you know, she's, she's still playing a role in uh, my training. She, she's trying to get me on that plant-based diet. I'm trying really hard. All the, all the, the science is showing to, to go towards it, but man, I love a good burger and some, some chicken wings <laughs> right now. <laughs> Hashtag truth on this podcast right yeah, now. Yeah, <laughs> man. <laughs> you know, uh, but shoot. Yep. Yeah. So she was end up being on board and just a, another side shout out to my mom, how strong she is. She beat breast cancer. And then six months later, got diagnosed with lung cancer and she beat that too. So she's no stranger to adversity and uh, pushing through things. So she's like one of the strongest, strongest people that I know in my life. So I, I definitely get a lot of courage and strength from her. And she, she's someone that leads by example. So, you know, another, it's just not me going out there and like willing myself to do this. Like I draw support from everybody in my life and she just happens yeah. to be the number one person, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. So, so let's get into some training. How do you train for an Ironman when you have a neuromuscular disease that you can't run and the last portion of the race requires a 26.2 mile marathon? That's, <laughs> that, that's something that people would ask. question. Yo, man, that's something people would ask me and I would be like, oh, that's a really good question. I, when, you, when you find the answer, you let me know, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I just started by uh, I just started by swimming. I've always been a strong swimmer. So swim, swim, swim. I love that, and that uh, got in the water, and that I seemed to not have any effects of that. But again, I'd never, I hadn't swam two point four miles since five years ago. On the last the last Ironman I did was Texas five years ago. Mm-hmm. So I was still building up and being cautious because I didn't know like well my arms actually start tiring out. This was something that was like unknown something that was like really scary to me. Like, am I going to get, you know, a mile and a half in and be like, Oh shoot, my hands won't, (laughs) my hands won't pull through anymore. Um, yeah. But so, you know, I swam teaching. I teach, I teach anywhere from 14 to 20 classes a week at flywheel. um, Just for people. How, how long is that class? And what would you say your, your average speed or let's give us a little uh, kind of insight into a class there. Average class is they're all forty five minutes long. Okay. I do two a week. Are I call, they're power thirties, mm-hmm. um, and power thirties are just as shorter, but we're going a lot harder, and there's no recovery, so higher resistance, longer intervals, um, and we completely take out all the rest because we got thirty minutes. We're like, let's use them. So, and. The miles on an indoor cycling bike don't add up to outdoor miles. Right, right. Um, they just don't because it's on a fly. A flywheel is just the wheel of the bike, and it's going around. You only have one wheel on an indoor cycling bike, and usually, you know, once you pedal, why the wheels keep going because the flywheel is so heavy, and it just keeps pushing it, right? So you're always going to get more miles in on an indoor bike than what would equate to an outdoor bike, you know? And so but from a your pure hour standpoint, it breaks down to about – between 10 and 15 to 16 hours of training a week on the bike, which is, yeah. And then, and then, so I'm already exhausted from that, but you have to get in outdoors. So then once a week, I would try to start getting longer rides in. Okay. Uh, longer, yeah, longer rides in. And I was getting up to, I was delaying my long rides again because I was still playing this cat and mouse game of with my CMT is like, how hard should I train? Mm -hmm. And I didn't ever want to cross that point of, overtraining to where my legs gave out and I couldn't really walk right for two weeks because one I don't want that to happen but two 
I also, you know, fitness is my life and my job and my livelihood. So, you know, you know I right. if I take that out and I can't ride for two weeks, that's a problem. Um, so, and then for running training, I started this like speed walk and just, I love how fascinating the body is and how much it adapts to what you want it to do. Right. So I just modified my gait and pushed my hips forward and I kind of like didn't really lift my legs off the ground. If you see in some of my videos, if you look on my Instagram, I just kind of scoot along quickly mm -hmm. without putting too much like pounding on my legs. So mm -hmm. it limits the amount that the impact and then the nerve signals aren't being stressed so much. What I think's happening, I still have no freaking clue. But uh, <laughs> whatever I was doing was like helping, right? So, uh -huh. um, but my, my pace slowed down from, you know, seven minute mile quick miles or when I was training for long dis longer distances, like eight and a half to nine and a half. So now I'm at 13 and a half to 15 and a half minute miles. Yep. Um, it, so it's basically just a really, a really quick walk. Yes. Um, and so I'm going to riff off that just a little bit for a second. So yeah, yeah, when, go ahead. when we did get a chance to muscle test Mark, we noticed that there were certain areas that he was still really strong in, even in the lower legs. So looking at muscles that did dorsiflexion, looking at muscles that did plantar flexion. So as he's explaining there, he was trying to limit the amount of plantar flexion to where he would engage um, muscles as the gastroc and the soleus and things, um, which allowed that muscle not to be fatigued as easily. And so he was really intelligent at modifying that gait. And that's kind of what he was breaking down there. So I appreciate you going into that. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's kind of incredible that saying it's still like it would, it would happen, but the longest run I ever got off training was I got, I think we did not, I did nine miles um, with my girlfriend, Valerie, we did my nine miles. And I remember it was like the longest run I had done in like five years. And I was just elated, but I was wrecked because, um, the research that I've done on CMT, sometimes you like, they actually say hip dysplasia is like something that happens. I don't know what I was getting in my hips, but my hips are definitely so tight. And I think that just goes back to, um, us talking about not being able to move properly and in all the planes of motion. Mm -hmm. And once I got locked in to that sagittal plane, like doing anything moving out of that sagittal plane motion was just like so hard. And my hips just like tightened up and we got so tired that it was like even hard to like walk. Mm -hmm. um, so at that point I was like, crap, <laughs> how am I going to go another, <laughs> you know, what? 15 miles. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, you know, in, in my head, I go, I'll worry about that when I get there. I'll worry about that later. Like, yeah. let's just go back. I'll put my time in the pool. I'll keep pounding it out on the bike. Um, uh, and, and biking, just to kind of give everybody a little background on what, like, how I modify, because I do modify my biking. Even when I teach, if you, if you take my class, we don't do a lot of fast speeds. One, I don't think that they're effective, but two, it actually personally affects my legs. The faster you go, the more pounding you have on the pedals. The more pounding you have on the pedals, the more my legs give out. Mm -hmm. um, but that being said, you're more efficient pedal stroke going at a slower speed and higher, higher uh, torque or resistance. We call it torque at flywheel. It's just resistance. Mm -hmm. um, so that's how I modify. Even in my class, we do, we do, it's all strength stuff on the bike, basically. It's like strength endurance. So 
higher resistance, lower cadence on your pedal strokes. Um, so that's how I, I modified there. But leading up five weeks into the race, let's speed this story up. Uh, I got hit by a car while I was biking home <laughs> after teaching. Uh, oh, while I was biking. Um, I, I can laugh hit. now. Yeah, you can. <laughs> we can laugh now. I got hit. And five weeks before the race, I end up breaking my elbow. So I fractured um, the tail head of the radius. It was the tail head, right? Yeah. Yeah. I never so, got your x-rays. Oh, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. They gave me the x-ray on a CD. I was like, is it not 2019? I was like, can we, can we put this on something else? <laughs> uh, anyway. So, so, yeah. Now five weeks out of the race. Um, I have a broken elbow, so now I can't train for swimming. Um, I took a week off of work and everybody, you know, this is what I want a lot of people to take out of this. Like the CMT is like, you know, like just to do things that scare you to do that. Don't, don't say no right away because everybody, every single person in my life said, okay, you should defer till next year. This is your sign not to do it. And I, and I know no one, like, just didn't, I know everybody, everybody's just, it came from a spot of worrying, right? Everybody's like, don't hurt yourself. Like, I know that, like, I knew it at the time, but in my head, I'm like, I signed up for this race. And this is like, I was to be honest, I didn't know if I have another, I didn't know if I would have another training in me to do it. It was so, it's so taxing on your body to, to train for these races on top of the CMT. I was like, I'm not going to rule it out. That's all I said. I'm like, look, I am not going to rule this out. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like, Mark, you literally, you have a, you, you have a brace on that goes from your, your wrist all the way up to your, your shoulder and you can't move your arm and it's extremely painful. I was like, you never know the body heals quickly. You know, if I go to physical therapy, I might be able to like muster through the swim. I'm just like, I am not going to rule it out. And then, mm-hmm. um, so I didn't, I ended up going back. I took a week off of work. I went back and I taught. I taught all my indoor cycling classes one-handed. I didn't swim again until like five days before the race. Um, And I actually, I didn't run again because I didn't, I didn't want to put that added stress on my body. I wanted to allow my body time to heal. And I knew running would just like tax my system. Um, Yeah. So I made the call. I was like, well, I can't run anyways. Why, (laughs) why push it? You know, we'll, we'll worry worry about the run. If I can get to the run at that part of the race, that was all my thought process was on that. Um, uh, and then fast forward us, uh, you know, like the week before the race, I went to my doctor and he's like, I was like, look, I want to do it. And, you know, I put one 500 yard swim in like five days before. And he was like, I'm not going to tell you not to do it. You know, he goes, I just think it's going to be painful. Um, I don't think you're, he's like, I don't think you'll re-break it or anything, but it's going to hurt. And, you know, you're going to have to deal with that. And you don't know how it's going to be on on the bike or the swim. And I was like, all right, we'll see. So uh, we showed up, I got in the water, I wore a compression sleeve on on my, on my elbow. We cranked out the 2.4 mile swim. Um, I overcompensated with my opposite arm and ended up keeping like, uh, I kept everything in line, so I didn't overextend on my on my broken arm. Um, I didn't do any supination or pronation through the water coming out. I just kept it all in yep. line the whole time, 
um, with my broken arm. And I ended up doing the swim only, I think it was six or eight minutes slower than my 2014 time. (laughs) Yeah. So I was pretty elated coming out and I had my watch on. So I knew that. And I was like, oh my gosh. And again, I had 15 people show up to Lake Placid from one, two, three, four, I think five different states, five different states. People came to Lake Placid to cheer me on again, a testament to like, like I just have so many good people in my life. It's unbelievable. Sometimes I just have to pinch myself, you know? Um, And they were all there. I got onto the bike. The bike was extremely difficult. It was over 2,500 feet of elevation. And then it was really windy. So like a lot of the downhills, I got up to like 46 miles an hour going down the downhill, but I had to extend my elbow out and get into the drops of the bike. The drops are like, the half circle underneath the handlebars. If you see cyclists mm-hmm. have those. Um, so I get down into those. So I was extending my elbow to get down and cut out some of the wind because there was crosswinds going down and you're going 46 miles an hour, man, I was using muscles that I haven't used in five yeah. weeks. Right. So not only did the elbow hurt from, from overextending more than it wanted to, but now my forearms and my tricep were just on fire and they're like, uh, you haven't worked us enough to be yeah. doing this. Uh, so it's kind of hold on for dear life and do that times times two. I saw uh, all my family members and friends on the bike course. I got through that. Once I got off the bike, I just like completely broke down. I broke down right before the swim. I had to like, just cry. You don't know when you get into these races. I just started yep. bawling. Then when I got done, it was like another just cry ball because I just got done with this 112-mile bike ride. And then I was like, can I get through the run? And uh I was able to time it to where I sped walk the first six miles and then I slowed down and it was like a run jog, my run jog that is, you know, 13 and a halves. And then I slowed down to a speed walk of 15s. And um, my cousin Luke was instrumental in helping me. He walked with me a lot on the course. He did a couple miles with me and kind of helped me get and keep the right headspace. And we saw family and friends and uh, I, I did the, uh, I did the run, I think it was probably at mile, I want to say it was mile 18. I had a realization that like, I'm going to do this. This is going to happen. And it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is going to freaking happen. That's awesome. And like, I just like lost it again. But then I realized I was going to do it. So I slowed down. And now for the last, uh, for, you know, eight miles, which eight miles is going to take at least two hours for me at this point, yep. you know, <laughs> but I just walked it casually. I had a nice strut. I was able to enjoy it. It was like, I could run and be in pain and be hurting mm-hmm. and, or I could slow down. I know I'm going to finish before the 17 hour cutoff that Ironman has and just enjoy every single second of it, man. And I enjoyed every single Second that is of so it. Cool. it was it was one of the best things you know to realize that I just did this Ironman second time through and you know I did it with so many people and I had so many people texting me and um and, and you know I had my cousin and people telling me who was like messaging and I was able to know that people from all over you know the globe because my I have friends that live in Germany my brother lives in Israel um 
you know, people calling in and saying like, Hey, great job. And like, it just meant the world to me. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy. That's so cool, man. And you know, to cap off, I kind of cap off what I want people to take from this. And I've been telling people in all my classes, you know, I have the CMT and I don't ever, I hate, I hate actually talking about this, the CMT and stuff. Cause I never want to feel like a pity party no, for because sure. there's so many people in this world. There's so many people in the world that have so many different things, like way worse than I do. Um, and I don't want to, ever to come across that. Like, I don't realize that, you know, mm-hmm. like I, you know, I have it good, mm-hmm. you know, but, but when you're trying to do something, you can tend to feel like really down about things. And I've been preaching in my classes, like, look, I have CNT. I got hit by a car. I broke my elbow. But the one thing I didn't say was no, mm-hmm. you know, like, like and and our minds are just wired to say no really quickly to things that are hard, yeah. And it's like the first knee jerk reaction. That's when we go back when everybody's talking about how, like, oh, you should defer. You're definitely not going to do it now. Okay, maybe next time. I'm like, you know, like don't say no. Don't say no. Say yes first. Yeah. Say yes first. Try to find a way to get something done that you want to get done unless it comes down to like really health reasons or other extenuating circumstances, like say yes first. And that, that mindset is going to help you achieve something. Like maybe you do get it done. Maybe you don't, but like, if you say yes first, you're only opening yourself up to the possibility of good things to happen. Yep. Right. That's so cool, man. I love that point. Yeah. I love that being um, what we can kind of finish on here. It was an absolute pleasure hearing that. I could say this. I still want to go into the mental aspect of it. I feel like we could do another hour podcast on the the mental battle from starting that Ironman to the headspace from the swim to 110 miles on a bike and then to run a marathon. Like, what – we kind of have had the opportunity to talk about it, just you and I, but for people to hear what goes through your mind in, you know, a 12, 15 hour race, however long it is and having, doing those physical activities, like it's nothing but in your head. It's you and you and nobody else, you know, outside of when you see your families for those brief seconds, you know, yeah, um, when you're zipping when you're zipping by them at you know twenty miles an hour. Exactly, I would <laughs> love to sit down yeah. and just have you kind of explain people how how mentally um, the the dynamics of an Ironman race. I would love that, and I also would love to get you back on to kind of hear you know what um, what your fitness endeavors are going to be moving forward. Um, with the career, I know you're, you're really getting into the personal training and I can say this without a doubt, anybody that has the opportunity to work with you is going to be blessed beyond measure. And I'd love to get you back on and just kind of talk about that and see um, where you're going and see if we can talk about those two things. If uh, you think that's in the cards. Yeah, let's do that. It'll be a, you know, trust cast part two. That's right. Um, 2.0 part two. Following, following up. I think that's amazing. Um, I appreciate you having me on. I like, you know, even getting on here makes me step outside my comfort zone a little bit just to talk about this stuff. Um, it's mm-hmm. something that I'm getting better at. So I appreciate the opportunity for that. And, 
And just for everybody listening, really, really know that like Ben is just the, the top of the top, whether you're, whether you're treating somebody um, that just comes into your office for a routine, you know, um, tune up or you're helping somebody train for a 5k. I, I truly think you could help somebody that's training for a 5k and, and Ben, you can, you can help the top professional athletes in the world. You have something to give them. You're that good at what you do. And I used to tell people like, I want my, I like my, my physicians and doctors and chiropractors to be young because they're so, they're so eager for knowledge and they want to know and they want to help. But I think, you know, the more I, I'm, I, I live a little, I realize that's just your quality. You want to learn more. You want to know everything that there is to know. And if you don't have the answers, you rely on your community and your network to find out what can be done or how you learn that subject and then come back and help whoever you're helping. Um, and that's a testament to you. And if anybody's in your in, in the St. Louis area, you have to check Ben out. I'm sorry, I'm just going to keep blowing you up right now but like <laughs> i i can't i can't i can't no stop enough. no stop, i can't no, stop, stop. <laughs> i really don't can't stress how good you are at what you do and, and even if you were the most intelligent person on the planet you have to have the ability to connect with people and understand and listen to them and i think that's your probably biggest strength over even all of your knowledge is the ability to connect listen and then be able to treat because if you can be able to treat, but if you can't connect and listen like you do, like there's going to be, there's going to be a loss in, a loss in translation. Um, and that's like one of your, if not the biggest strength, I think. Um, yeah. And you're top notch in my book. I appreciate that, man. It means a lot to me. Uh, yeah. Again, man, thanks for coming on. I hope you have a great weekend. And uh, I hope a ton of people get to hear what you've had to say today because it's inspiring and uh, they'll be blessed for listening to it. So I hope you have a, a good weekend, man. Yeah, you too. I really appreciate it. Everybody listening, go do something that scares you. Go be great and tell a stranger something nice. All right. Love it, man. All right. <laughs> all have right, a bro. good day. All Bye-bye. right. See you. Bye.